Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, we have an awesome interview with hormonal specialist Travis Zipper. Travis Zipper is a ex-regional CrossFit athlete. He's a physique competitor. Um, I think he did classic physique, so he's been on stage. He's been entrenched in the fitness industry for a while now. He's been in the medical and clinical setting of fat loss, so he's actually been the fat loss guy from a doctor's perspective, which is crazy to talk about. Um, he's also a coach with the IN3 crew, uh, Jason Phillips crew, um, and he also runs NCI's Nutrition Coaching Institute's Hormonal Certification Course. So this guy is the guy to go to when it comes to hormones, period. So there's a lot of information being dropped on this podcast. I think you are really going to like it. And for anybody who has suffered from under-eating, under-recovering, um, too much intense training, being stuck at a very massive plateau where you're just no longer seeing results despite training hard and dieting, you might have hormonal issues, and this is a great podcast for you to listen. We dive into um, thyroid health, metabolism, testosterone, PCOS, so many different things that are involved with the hormonal system and dieting and fat loss and performance and all things related. So once again, very, very informative podcast. I'm excited for you guys to listen. Before we get into the show, I want to make a couple quick announcements. First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to my sponsor, Reebok One, and if you want a killer discount, Visit the link in the show notes or go to www.reebok1.com slash boom boom. The second announcement I want to make is just to let you guys know how much I love and appreciate when I get five-star ratings and review. It helps me grow the podcast more. And I know I say it on every show, but we have new listeners turning in every single week, which makes me super happy. And one of the ways that we can grow this movement and reach more people and help more people get results is to get better ratings, more ratings, and reviews on iTunes. So if you can do me a favor, hit the search button, type in the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, go to the podcast, and leave us a five-star rating and review. Now, without further ado, here's Travis Zipper. Travis Zipper, welcome to the show, man. I'm really, really excited to have you here, um, to have a hormonal specialist on the podcast, especially, and just kind of talk everything hormones and fitness, man. So welcome to the show. Yeah, buddy. Thank you for having me. So let's let's get right into, before we get into the topics, let's get into your history. So like, I want to know your background and like where you came from and why you got into fitness and nutrition. Uh, I would say I've always been into fitness um and always nutrition as a uh, you know something that followed along with it three sport athlete going through high school played uh, a little bit of college football um didn't stick that one out very long because uh i was playing division one and getting you know the you know what kicked out of me more than than not <laughs> um and then i transitioned to the west coast where it's definitely more fitness oriented then where I grew up in Chicago, Chicago's cold, the skies are gray, people hide in sweats all year. Um, and that's where you, you can really flourish and, you know, you're in shorts and tank tops year round. Uh, and people ate healthier. Uh, they lived healthier lifestyles. Everyone was, you know, doing yoga. Like, I'd never seen a yoga studio in Chicago growing up. And uh, it seems like they were everywhere in the West Coast. Um, I, I started my, uh, after going through Arizona State. I had a degree in computer engineering. By the time I finished with that, um, I knew I, I definitely did not want to be an engineer. I should have probably figured that out when I had a hard time finding studs in the wall when I was hanging stuff that maybe I wasn't inclined to be to be an engineer. Uh, but uh, by the time I got done, I was like, okay, uh, I was going to go to Vegas and try things out. Got into nightlife. Uh, had a very lucrative career uh, in, in nightlife in Las Vegas, made a good amount of money doing things, but my quality of life stunk, and I don't know if I was the, the best person. wasn't giving anything back. Right. So uh, I, I eventually transitioned into uh, working in, in home care and seeing uh, like you know, home care reps and, and, and turning into almost like a social worker. And it was at that point when I would go see some of these uh, elderly that were all by themselves, that uh, they would look forward to my 15-minute visit every week. And that was their, their, their high point of the whole week. And seeing their faces, and it was the first time I really started to fall asleep at night, feeling good uh, about what I did. Uh, and it was, it was a weird feeling. And that was kind of like the turning point. And 
after that, you know, I, I, I started working in the, I guess, health and nutrition realm as a, a medical weight loss nutritionist working in a, a diet clinic that also did age management. So that's where I got my first feel for, for hormones because I'd see people for weight loss. And of course, hormones is very tied into it. And you just have to learn, uh, you know, the ins and outs. And I also worked for quite a few doctors who, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but they didn't like to do their continuing education. So, uh, they would allow me to go do it and I just sign off their names. So I got a lot of, uh, nice. uh, great, great education, uh, very cheaply for about four or five years for about four or five doctors. Uh, then uh, I transitioned to uh, working with the current company I'm in now, In3 Nutrition, with uh, Jason Phillips. Uh, that was the first time I really started working with athletes uh, and you know doing macro prescriptions for that uh, realm, and then going you know working with different people and different angles. Uh, I'm more like the athlete side versus the medical weight loss. Uh, and currently, I still work for another company called Synagenics that is straight very high-end age management. Uh, so people come to us, they, they know they're hormonally imbalanced and they're looking for, for replacement. And we also do nutrition and uh, the diet side of things as well. So it's kind of like a 360-degree uh, approach. Okay. And, That's and currently where, where I'm at right now or so where I've, I've landed. Have you – because I know you've done some bodybuilding or physique-style stuff. Have you also done CrossFit competitively? Yep, yep. So uh, for I would say about 2000. 12 to 2017 was very into uh, competitive crossfitter. I was a, a individual regional athlete in 2014 and I, I made it on the team uh, 15, 16, and 17. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, it was pretty much my whole life and kind of when I got into N3, that's the, the, the type of client that I was working with most. Uh, so I knew what it took to to get to that, that high level and it was a full-time job. Uh, and with the... Um, last year at regionals uh in team uh just putting everything you have into it and and putting it all on the floor and and just not seeing you come up with any results and just realizing that man i don't i don't know if i got another year of this in me yeah was the final time when when i said uh, that was it it's taxing man it's definitely taxing did you do that or physique oriented sport first like which one so, came first so so i mean uh i it was so funny like i remember like a funny story is that uh, I had a girlfriend in, in like 2007 that, that when CrossFit first started, one of her friends started it, and I remember laughing at her saying like, "There's that's that's dumb. It's CrossFit stupid. You know, no one, <laughs> you'll never get big. You'll never get big muscles. Bodybuilding's the only way." Right. And you know, fast forward four, four years ago, four years after that, it's my it's my life, uh, and you know, consuming 20 hours a, a week, at the minimum. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say just you know, it was a bodybuilding style growing up, playing college football. Uh, and then uh, it wasn't till the CrossFit that things changed. I went straight 100%. No, no more global gym, uh, no more bodybuilding style. Only, uh, only CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting. Okay. And just recently, I have uh, transitioned into um, doing classic physique shows because I'm some type of person that needs something to uh, motivate you. 100%. Like I always got to have a goal. Have a goal to work towards. I get that. I think it's funny too, man. I actually have a similar kind of a story or just theory like because I always did I did a lot of athlete stuff but more targeted towards soccer and the things I was doing and then I got really into bodybuilding I actually got on stage as well um and I nice. I didn't necessarily talk shit about CrossFit but I wasn't the biggest fan and I definitely like we even had a bunch of people asking questions on the podcast all the time about CrossFit why it's bad is it bad what do you think and finally I said okay I'm going to challenge myself to do 90 days of it just so I can actually understand it before I just say mm -hmm. what I think see from an outside perspective and I got hooked <laughs> and I, 90 days passed and I still go only about once or twice a week now but it's it's definitely an addicting fitness realm or, or style of training well they call it a cult for a reason yeah uh, and I, I personally uh, I, I think it's basically uh, competitive the competitive nature you're always going to compete and then it's also the camaraderie you get of being in group fitness yeah a lot of people like how many people are high school athletes? They're they they're competitive in high school, and when you get out of high school, there's nothing else for them to to you know test the waters and and you know stir stir that fire competitively. So right. CrossFit presented that option to a lot of people. And at least that's how I was for me. You know, I played sports, and 
I, I thought, you know, getting in there competing every day and, and always working towards some goal was great. Yeah, no, I, I think it's exactly why I'm so into it too. But um, what one thing I would be curious to know about is what is the difference between the clinical setting of dieting for fat loss versus what you do now, macro prescription, IN3 with Jason and all that? Like that's very similar to what I know and what I do. And that's why I actually met Jason is because I had such a similar philosophy as you guys. So what is the difference between that and the clinical setting? Or did you do essentially the same thing behind doors with, with the doctors and everybody in there? Because I've always been curious of how they actually proceed with stuff. Uh, it's Well, it's, it's going to be based on uh, the clinic where you work for and usually the doctor that you work for. I've worked for uh, going on seven, eight different doctors, uh, a couple of them being PAs. And each one of those doctors had a different philosophy on, on food. Uh, they were not very, I would say most of them are not very educated on the nutrition realm. So they like to, uh, hand that off to someone else that, that handles that because most of the doctors nowadays, they're seeing people for 10 minutes, but it's the basic easy, you know, no carbs, no alcohol, get rid of the whites. Uh, not so much in following like the food pyramid or like old school style, uh, dieting, like eat low calories. Um, but also not as uh, comprehensive as, as the macro setting or nutrition coaching. Uh, so that's why I think it's, it's really important even in a clinical setting, even if you are seeing a doctor for some medical care or some condition, that you always work with a team of people uh, that can, that can kind of handle it on every angle. And even like the functional doctors, the ones that are like the best in the world, they always have teams. They'll see you for the medical side of it, they'll point you in the right direction, and then they'll, they'll hand you off to their, their nutritionist in the office that takes the takes over the, the role of implementing that plan. Okay. So were you s- typically seeing clients that already went to the doctor and these doctors were saying like, hey, like you have an obesity problem, you have a diabetes problem, you have some kind of issue that you need to see a specialist in the nutrition realm. Here's my guy and they just pass them on to you and then it's like your freedom to do what you wish with them in order to get them to the result? Uh, no, not necessarily. So uh, let's just uh, I'll put it in comparison. The, the first place I worked was a was a medical weight loss clinic, so that they were half medical weight loss clinic, half anti-aging clinic. So the office was split into two. And if a patient came to you for diet, they weren't usually seeing you, seeing the doctor for medical in the same sense. So they had to like swap it for insurance purposes. You couldn't see someone for the, you couldn't, you couldn't see uh, a client for taking a cash service and then taking an insurance service in one day. It would need to be like separate visits. So based on whatever the doctor was prescribing uh, medically, if it's medications or uh, if it's a certain like, condition or if they're celiac or uh, they have no thyroid, that would always take priority. And then you would work kind of with the doctor to put that plan together. But in that particular clinic, it was a lot of diet pills, uh, diet programs, and a lot of people wanting quick fixes uh, instead of wanting to put in the work. So kind of frustrating, but you know, I would say maybe two out of the 10 people that you worked with were willing to put in the work and change it. The rest of them were looking for a pill, uh, to, to take everything away. And, you know, that's essentially putting a bandaid on the situation. Right. And I'm I'm assuming that's what kind of that, that's probably what kind of geared you towards doing what you do now as a nutrition coach and having more freedom upon like the lifestyle factors and what really makes a difference, right? 100%, 100%. So I would say that type of client, the, uh, the sedentary, the unmotivated, the, the, the medically sick, the ones that are, are, are stuck in the medical system for looking for the answer instead of them taking more drive in their life and, and taking on themselves to, to improve their health are the hardest patients to work with. Uh, either they've been beaten down by health conditions and they just don't have the, the positivity to, t- to keep going, uh, or it's the fact that they just they don't have the will to do it, the, the, the desire. So when you work with nutrition clients, they're usually coming to you uh, that they've been on a diet, they've tried something, they've, 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 they've been through a, a couple approaches, and they usually haven't seen results, and they, they know that they, they want help, uh, and guidance, and they're usually to, to they're usually willing to do whatever's you know put forth, presuming it's it's realistic and, and reasonable. Uh, at least I would say everyone gives 
me in the nutrition realm at least three months. Sometimes people will, will lose uh, motivation if they don't see results right away, which is another hard part of the industry because you know a lot of times people didn't become sick or out of shape in three months and you can't expect to fix it in three months either. Yeah. Well, and I think a big part of that too is education, right? Like it's hard to teach somebody the process of what you're doing and why it's working in a matter of 30 days. Um, So I totally get that. And I know a big thing for me at the start when I first start working with a new client is like getting them to agree that, you know, this is going to take some time and we're going to have to work for a minimum of three months to get you where you want to be because I want to educate you along the way. Yeah. 100%. I would say if someone comes to me um, that's hormonally compromised, uh, that's just, uh, you know, no energy, exhausted, uh, been burning the candle at both ends. It can take uh, upwards of a year to fix things. Uh, I've seen it fixed in, in three to six months. But most of the time, uh, I have to have a real heart-to-heart with them and, and say, listen, I guess, like I said previously, this problem didn't didn't develop over overnight. And it usually is not fixed overnight. And look at cancer situations they say cancer develops in the body 15 20 years before it even prevents one presents one symptom wow That's what a lot of conditions are yeah uh so it, it the, it's amazing what the body can do to heal itself and fix itself when you give it the right tools and the right you know nutrients and guidance but still everyone in in today's society through social media diet pills quick fixes everyone thinks they you know they want it now and uh, unfortunately, that's just not how it works. Yeah, and and you know what? Even if you look at it from uh, like step back and look at it, the time it takes to heal the body in these ways is still less time than it took to bang up the body. Because like you said, some of these people are living a, a poor lifestyle for 10 plus years until they have such a serious negative impact that they have to make a change through nutrition. And if it does take six months to a year, that's still a fraction of how long it took to create these horrible negative impacts right yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so would you say that i'm guessing this might be the reason why you started digging more and more into the hormonal route is that you started seeing it appear more often right like people are coming to you whether they are coming to you with autoimmune diseases or just being obese or having poor lifestyle or just not feeling well did you kind of connect the dots and start to notice that more people than you realized were hormonally hurting and that's what kind of led you down this path yeah, it started at the, the first medical uh, weight loss clinic that I worked at where I would see people and they would come in, uh, I would work with them and they'd be eating the, 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 have them on a great diet, <clears throat> they'd be eating good quality foods, they'd be exercising, uh, they would be, be active and it, they just would not see results. And that's when I, I started opening charts and learning other problems and seeing you know uh, other hormonal problems and, and kind of connecting the dots and then furthering my, my education on those certain areas. Um, I'm definitely not, and an, an I wouldn't even call myself a specialist or expert on a lot of areas, but there are some areas that I, I have worked on and educated myself uh, extensively, and those are the areas that I, I, I claim to try to help people with. Um, and it was when I started to interpret labs and understand how uh, hormone replacement was working and, and how you need to sometimes balance people off before they can turn the the corner health wise was like my aha moment for hormones. Like it's all connected. And if you're stressed, if you're burning the candle at both ends, if you're over exercising, uh, if you're non, you know, sedentary, all of these things played a role. And until you get people's hormones balanced, like I said, they could just be running in place for a long period of time. Yeah. And one of the best things that I've noticed, at least with working with people is that, when you actually, Jason said something to me one time. I don't even. I don't think it was on my podcast, but um, he said the the physical follows the physiological, and I love that because once you start showing people biofeedback and showing people how important this stuff is, they can notice like results without seeing the scale, right? So so many people are so focused on scale, but when you teach them how to track how their hormones are actually feeling. All of a sudden, they notice their results happening well before the scale even moves. Because sometimes we have to wait a while before the scale really starts to stops or uh, starts to drop. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's 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 a, a yeah. The physical follows the physiological. It's a, definitely a catchphrase that I use all the time, and it's a phrase that needs to be explained to to clients, to people who are, you know, turning the corner one way or another. And 
especially with anyone that's like hormonally challenged or, or ha- ha- not seeing results is that they need to be able to recognize the little steps of progress that they're making. Like if you're sleeping better throughout the night, if you don't need your coffee at one o'clock to get you through the day, if you have better bowel movements, you know, uh, all of a sudden you're not eating things that, that make you um, bloated and gassy after meals. Uh, you know, the sex drive is back with the, with the husband or the wife, like all these little things, like even though they, they should be normal, uh, they're, they're not because we walk around feeling like terrible most of the times and we just slough it off to, you know, okay, that's how it is. That's how that's that's how I've always been. That's not, that's not how we should be. We should be living much more, you know, uh, vital and, you know, energetic lives. Yeah. I think, I think it's sad how many people actually just don't know what it feels like to feel good. So they don't even actually understand that they're not where they need to be. Some people don't realize that they feel like shit because they've never felt like they're thriving or amazing or energetic or anything. Yeah. So and there, I mean, there's tons of reasons that, that that's the cause of that, but that's the the goal is to is to just you know you get one little thing and you, you celebrate it. You know, you say, listen, this is going in the right direction, and then the next thing comes along, and then the next thing, uh, and then all of a sudden they start to realize that oh yeah, this this is this is this is working. I am feeling better, and then when the all the inside and the internal stuff is balanced and stresses are removed. Yeah, the body always catches up. One thing I notice a lot of is um, there's a lot of myths or a lot of just hype surrounded around different things, whether people are reading men's health or they see something on Instagram. But there's a lot of different things that people will use in like headlines and stuff, right? Like this exercise is going to boost XYZ or these superfoods are going to help increase metabolism and stimulate your testosterone, whatever it may be. I'm curious to know, what do you find are the most common myths or just misleading things about hormones in general? Um, Some of the biggest myths, uh, they they boil back down to, uh, you know, eating less, exercising more uh, is what's going to get you the the, the body that you want. Uh, And that's just that's just not the truth. You have to eat uh, to feed the body. And it depends on, you know, how active you are, uh, how much stress you're going through. And a lot of times people need way more food than they're getting. Um, when it comes to like balancing hormones, uh, there are natural things that can help do it. Uh, but no one's hormones are going to be improved or the balance is going to, uh, you know, go in the right direction until lifestyle factors are, are considered. Like you can't, you know, take a testosterone shot and uh, balance yourself out and then sleep four hours a night and, you know, work 60 hours a week and eat, you know, 900 calories. That's, that's not enough. That's not going to do it. It's just going to put you into, at the best case scenario, uh, a possible, you know, running in place situation. So what, let's dig into metabolism a little bit then because I, I kind of feel like that plays a role in the whole like eat less, move more thing. And um, on top mm-hmm. of that, like a lot of people just have seem to have issues with their metabolism. So a couple things I'd be curious on your opinion with is one, the correlation between age and metabolism. Like, is that true or is that myth? As you get older, your metabolism slows down. Or is that a, a result of as you get older, your lifestyle changes and you're moving less, you're eating a poor diet, you sleep less, and that's what causes the metabolism to slow down? No, it's a uh, it's widely proven that as you age, you produce less hormones as you get older, and as everything is anything in, in life that is uh, exposed to more oxygen, it oxidizes. Things break down, um, bones uh, become more brittle. Uh, it's just that's the natural part of aging. Now, does that need to run your life by any means? Is, is that a determining factor? Absolutely not. Can you offset or hedge your bets? Can you resistance train to have thicker bones? Can you eat more uh, uh, sufficient amount of protein to make sure your muscles active? Do you do you stay active enough and and uh, mobile and flexible enough so you don't fall and have any injuries? Can you eat right foods that can boost natural hormone production? Of course, there's always things you can do to to balance that. But yes, as you age, you do produce less of all those uh, uh, great hormones. You just look at it through females. You know, menopause is a perfect example. Uh, they just get to a point where they don't they don't produce anymore. Um, let me take that back. They don't produce the same quantities as they did when they were younger. So it's more important to keep things in balance, uh, when they get to that point. So what would be your top recommendations? Cause that was actually one of the questions I had, uh, more than once in the group forum was 
what should a diet look like or what advice do you have for menopausal women who are still looking to see better results, lose more body fat, build more muscle, uh, have better performance, so on and so forth? One of the biggest thing that for, for females uh, is when they go through menopause, basically no longer are the ovaries producing uh, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Um, uh, now most of that uh, work now relies on the adrenals. So the adrenals are what create DHEA, cortisol, and they're also what's cranking out, you know, the, the small amounts of estrogen and progesterone um, and, and testosterone. And it comes from a couple other places, but that's the, the main driver. So what you want to do uh, at that point is you want to make sure that you're eating uh, an anti-inflammatory diet, uh, foods that are not causing inflammation, that's causing more stress in the body. Because when the body is more stressed, what does it activate? The stress response. And what does that kick in is the adrenals. If then you overwork the adrenals, then they're not going to be able to create all the other, um, you know, proper hormones and, and keep you in that right balance. So if it comes to food, uh, it, it goes back to, you know, common sense uh, of food, good things that come out of the ground that have uh, not been, I call it, adulterated by man's hand. No hormones, okay? No genetically modified foods. Uh, eat the rainbow of colors from uh, fruits and vegetables, organic as much as possible, grass-fed, things like that. Uh, and there's, there's multiple studies showing that the people who eat uh, 75 to 100 different foods have so much more of a diverse microbiome and live healthier lifestyles and don't get sick compared to people who eat 25 or less foods every day. Uh, and so, you know, what does that hit home to a lot of people? You see a lot of people eating the same thing every day for long periods of time. Uh, and, you know, those are the people who have food intolerances, who get sick a lot. Um, you want to use food as a medicine. So oh, a well balance is, is what I would say. Don't cut out any one um, uh, macronutrient, get a good diverse blend of it all. Man, this is actually one of the things I really love about your philosophy and how you go about things is you're a guy here who's pretty ripped up. You're an athlete. You perform really well. And one of your biggest things is actually food quality, but you don't ignore macronutrients, right? We see a lot of people hopping into like the dogmatic camp of one side or the other. You're either full-blown paleo, only clean food, don't touch anything, or you're straight up IIFYM and you can have Pop-Tarts every day as long as it fits your macros, which I think is both, like you have to have a balance between the two. So I, it's refreshing hearing somebody um, actually talk about those things. Um, so with that being said, like I wanna take a step back and just ask you, what do you feel like, and I don't think there's a, a black and white answer, but I'm curious of your kind of your thoughts around it or how you would explain this. like. When someone's asking what's more important for hormonal balance or, or improving your hormones, whatever the situation may be, what's more important, micros or macros? Do you feel like having uh, enough calories and carbohydrates in your diet is going to be the best thing to stimulate the thyroid and get your metabolism working? Or is food quality actually just as important when it comes to hormones? It, it really depends on the situation and the person. So I'll give you two examples, okay? Someone that comes that is uh, over-exercising and under-eating and has uh, metabolic adaptation or low thyroid, low uh, adrenal output. That's someone where the macronutrients, uh, the total calorie quant quantity and, and totals is going to be the most important. Now, if you have someone that comes to you that has uh, a PCOS situation, for you know, if anyone doesn't familiar with that term, it's polycystic ovarian syndrome, then uh, it's so much more uh, food quality that, that plays a role. Uh, or if it's someone that, that comes to you with that, that's inactive, that has a thyroid condition, then, then yes, food quality and getting the right nutrients so the body can actually create thyroid hormone and, and clean things out uh, would be more important. So you kind of have to look at it on, on two realms. Um, and you know, it's kind of one of the philosophies of, of, of the company that I work for, M3, is that they call it the, uh, the, the triangle of uh, you know, awareness where you have one side of the triangle is longevity and health. One side is um, aesthetics, so, you know, how you look in the mirror, you know, think of the bodybuilder doing the show, and then you have one, one side that's performance. Uh, each one of those focuses is going to have a different uh, focus on, on, on quantity uh, versus quality uh, discussion. But if I see people that are hormonally uh, wrecked, so to speak, or... Uh, and balanced, and it's not someone that's that's doing it because of stress. 
then food quality usually takes the, uh, the priority because that falls into the longevity and the health side of it. But if someone's been eating less and over-exercising and running themselves into the ground or even someone that, that works 60, 70 hours a week, okay, it's going to be more food. It's going to be the macro for that situation. And I'm, and I'm assuming once you make that first step, whatever, whatever route you need to take with them, you eventually take the other step as well, right? Like if you have somebody that's under eating, yes, you need to bump up calories. You need to get them on the right macronutrients. But it, once they start consuming enough calories, do you kind of start going down the path of like, okay, now let's focus on food quality? Uh, honestly, I, I probably do uh, – uh, I'm probably equal on both halves. So I, I hit it on, 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 on one side of it. Unless you have someone that comes to you that is never tracked food before, has no idea what a protein or a carb or a fat is, and is used to eating you know, out of a bag in a box or, or fast food all the time, uh, then you have to start slowly. But if someone has a general sense, and that's most of the, the clients that we do have, or the most of the people that I work with, um, they, they do understand the nutrition side of it. So um, the first thing I'll do is, you know, yes, you always give them a, a set macro goal. This is how many, how much protein, how much carbs, how much fat you need. Um, but then let's look at what you're eating and let's remove the most common triggers that could be causing any issues or holding you back, such as gluten, dairy, artificial sweeteners, uh, even grains for some people based on a, a certain situation. And, and let's get you more nutrient dense foods to, to replace those. Um, kind of like a, you know, a double pronged approach. Got it. Um, let's, let's jump back real quick to, um, metabolism. You said something about, uh, the hormones affecting metabolism. How important is that, or how influential is your hormones on metabolism? And, and what's the relationship between the two? When somebody has any type of hormonal issue across the board, does it affect metabolism or is there only certain hormones that directly impact your metabolism? So think all, almost all of the hormones are all interconnected in a giant web. Okay, uh, if there's a problem with one, it's usually going to affect the other. So, for instance, you need estrogen to work on the receptors of your thyroid hormones. Uh, if you have too much cortisol production, that will blunt your thyroid production. Uh, if you are stressed out, your body will go into a state of you know shutdown or conservation mode, uh, and basically will shut off all uh, sex hormone production. Because think, if you're starving. What is your body preparing to do? It's preparing to live. It's not preparing to you know, reproduce. Right. So you can't look at one hormone and say, listen, I have a testosterone imbalance or I have a cortisol imbalance or my thyroid's messed up because usually they're all kind of interconnected. Um, and you have to take the person and assess them based on everything because a lot of times when you do that, you'll find that even though they might have symptoms of one problem, there's something else that's actually causing that problem. Is there any one that's easier to test to see if you're low in and that's just a sign that everything else is probably low too? Um, and the reason I ask is because – and you probably get this a lot too. Like thyroid dysfunction is a very, very common thing that you hear, especially women, not so much men, uh, talk about in what their doctor said that they were, they're going through right now. Um, if you hear somebody that has a thyroid issue, do you believe that that's just because it's the easiest thing to test and, and notice or is it really just a thyroid problem? Because my guess now is like it's probably a lot more than just your thyroid. Um, so thyroid probably has the longest reaching effect on all other systems in the body. Because basically uh, your thyroid is, is what pretty much runs metabolism. Every single cell in your body has a thyroid receptor. The only other uh, um, uh, nutrient or, or hormone or anything that can, that can make that claim is vitamin D. So every single cell in your body is affected one way or another by your thyroid. So just think, if, if that's affected, then it's going to uh, snowball and play a role on, on every other aspect of being like hormonally imbalanced. And it can lead to autoimmune conditions. It can lead to other hormonal imbalances because, again, think of that situation. If your body is run down or your metabolism isn't running right, it's, it's not directing other resources towards producing those hormones that are the reproductive hormones because it's preparing for starvation versus preparing for reproduction. So when it comes to metabolism, thyroid is, is I would say, probably one of the most undiagnosed conditions, even though it's about one in eight women have it currently. Uh, I would say it's closer to probably one in four because uh, people just 
they slough it off as not having energy or having too much work going on uh, or, you know, I got to drive the kids to three soccer practices and they just say, listen, I'm tired. And, and it happens a lot even where, where doctors disregard it because they'll, they'll test for one marker um, that and if that one marker doesn't come back uh, positive, which is called your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone then they don't make any other, uh, they don't test anything else where you could totally miss a whole condition. Okay. So with that being said, thyroid is probably, it's very easy to test because it's a, it's a blood test. Um, the only other hormone that's, that can be really accurately checked through blood, um, with the free and the total version, meaning like the total amount in the bloodstream versus the free or bioavailable that your actually cells can use is testosterone. So a lot of doctors will run it. It's covered by insurance. It's easy to see, but there's still many situations where they don't actually do all the tests, which really paints the whole picture of the person's situation. Okay, yeah. And you know what? Like I, I remember reading a while back, uh, I want to say Kate Deering is the author, but How to Heal Your Metabolism. And I felt like every other page she's talking about thyroid. And I always knew it was important, but obviously when you say that, like I didn't realize that every single cell in your body has a, a direct influence on or by your thyroid, which is huge. So it's obviously super important. Um, my guess is that the reason so many women have this and it's so common amongst women versus males is just simply because male hormones are more resilient or is there a direct correlation to the sex of the person that, that has a more importance with the thyroid hormone? Um, no, I wouldn't say they're more resilient and, and they really don't know why women have, uh, you know, it's a higher incidence uh, of, of thyroid problems. They have a couple of theories and they make sense. And one is, um, toxins are stored in fat cells. Um, so when fat cells are broken down, those toxins are released into the bloodstream and women naturally have higher body fat percentages. So the, the turnover of fat cells is, uh, at different times releasing more toxins into the bloodstream. Uh, they also have a lot of hormonal swings due to their monthly menses uh, that is, you know, having a high and a low uh, much more frequently. So when things are out of balance, there's more propensity for uh, imbalances to occur. Uh, they don't handle, uh, you know, the stress of uh, the stress effect can hit them harder than than men and definitely not in, in all situations. But that's just, you know, um, uh, a common connection. Uh and those are kind of like some of the, the main reasons. And, you know, and then the, the perimenopause situation, you know, females are going, you know, going through perimenopause in late thirties now, um, endocrine system disruptors that are out there. There's, there's more chemicals than ever before. And, and those again, uh, are introduced into their systems and, you know, stored in fat and, and broken down. So there's a lot of different theories out there. Um, uh, but no, no direct like connections or, you know, you can't put the finger on it. Right, right away by any means what would be the best way for people listening to battle this or improve this because i mean at the end of the day i know there's going to be hundreds of people listening to this that have issues with their thyroid um but on top of that there's going to be hundreds of guys that might not have issues with their thyroid but i'm sure whatever like suggestions you can give us to give the listeners to improve their thyroid is going to be beneficial for men too and the, the issues they're going through whether they are as serious or not so what would be your like go-to recommendations for people to start fixing this thyroid issue right away? Um, okay, so it, it always starts with with stress. Okay, if if you if you can't remove like outside stressors and you know they're there, um, uh, then you're gonna have a real hard time fixing a lot of uh, metabolic, being cortisol uh, or thyroid or or sex hormone um, imbalances. Uh, and I say that meaning that if someone's a shift worker. If someone's working 70 hours a week, if someone's a soccer mom and, and uh, having, you know, the full day of, of driving kids around, being super stressed, having to work a side job to pay the bills, those are all things that, that are, are going to be pushing you over the edge. And a lot of times you can't fix those problems, okay? But you have to learn how to um, either deal with it, you know, make lemonade out of lemons or, you know, fix yourself and put you in a new situation like if it's shift work are you actively working towards moving out of that shift if it's uh you know i have to drive the kids around every day till seven o'clock at night are you taking some time to de-stress through the week through like massage um saunas like acupuncture little things like that maybe even easy epsom salt baths before you go to sleep um but you have to work on on, on removing those 
The second biggest thing that, that uh, people don't really connect with, with hormone issues is um, poor gut health. Uh, for instance, uh, thyroid, uh, 60% of the thyroid uh, from T4, which is the inactive thyroid, is converted into T3 in the gut. Um, sorry, in the liver, 60% is converted in the liver. Okay. The other 20% is, is, um, converted in the gut. So see how, if you don't have the right gut balance, uh, if you don't have the right liver clearance, if you, if you're overstressed, your body doesn't have the ability to, to make that transition. So someone could have a, um, a perfectly functioning thyroid, but they could have liver or gut issues and they're not able to, you know, make that T3 that their body's able to use. Um, so focusing on gut health is, is a huge one. It's only getting worse because of uh, gluten and inflammatory foods and, you know, processed foods. Uh, and, you know, people, more people are coming down with, with IBS in different situations. So besides stressors, um, and of course, in, including stressors, the, the next one would also be like sleep. Okay, sleep's super important for hormones. You, you get your biggest surge and your body heals while you sleep. Um, you're based on a circadian rhythm. If you don't sleep, you, you push yourself into like again a more of a stress response. So it would be removing stressors as much as you can, or learning how to um, deal with them better. Okay, by managing them or getting some de-stressing time, focusing on uh, getting a good night's sleep. Uh, seven hours is usually is the minimum. People who are getting five hours of sleep, there there's multiple studies showing that uh, it severely depresses um, you know HPA function which is your hypothalamus, pituitary, uh, adrenal axis. Um, and it's just, it's not doing any benefit for healing you. Um, then gut health is a huge one. Focus on gut health. You know, uh, removing again, those, those possible inflammatory foods. Gluten is really bad for the gut. Um, you know, artificial sweeteners are starting to become, uh, uh, a popular, uh, uh, term for showing, you know, uh, dysbiosis in the gut by killing good bacteria, uh, dairy, and even there's there's foods that people eat that are called cross-reactive with gluten that your body just gets confused and think are gluten. And those include rice, those include eggs, those include um, uh, corn and millet and, and um, stuff, and, and even oats. So people could be eating all these healthy foods, and they could be causing an inflammatory response. So I would say naturally um, – those are the first things, th three things you always want to work on. And sometimes you need someone to help guide you and show like, man, you know, if you're, you're really stressed and you're, you're, uh, you're doing way more than you can, you're saying yes to everyone in every situation, you're not taking any you time. Uh, that's what you should be able to point out to them. Lifestyle wise. Yeah, okay? absolutely. And I think that's, that's huge for people to hear because environments in general cause such a big, uh, reaction or negative impact or positive impact if you have a great environment around you towards your results whether that's performance stress uh fat loss health anything and i think it goes unsaid because so many people are focused on just calories or just training and just moving they forget about these things that aren't as like sexy headlines but they make a huge impact right like are you getting enough sleep are you meditating are you do you have like one thing you do per week that's just for fun for you right so i think that's huge um, one thing I would love to hear more on or kind of dive into is how do you balance those reactive foods? Like, I mean, shit, you just named 50% of some people's diet, right? Even some of the healthy stuff. Like you're saying that some people may even be affected by rice or oats um, and all these different things. So how do you go about knowing that gluten actually is a problem or it's not a problem? Because I think there's a lot of kind of back and forth talk on like you need to be gluten-free or that's all hype and then same thing with things like rice and stuff. So how do you go about balancing that or explaining to a client how to balance those things and figure out whether or not they are actually are a problem that could be affecting their thyroid or hormones or metabolism or anything like that or gut health in general? So I mean I always start with the basics and it's it's based on a couple different factors. Um, it, there's uh, elimination type diets that you can start with. There's actual intolerance testing, uh, and then there is, you know, based on how they react to, to, to certain foods. Now, if someone comes to you and they're healthy, they don't have fatigue, they don't have energy issues, sex drive is okay, they don't have any medical issues, um, they're, they're not inflamed, then there's a good chance of, of what they're eating is, is working for them. But it, when it comes to the more sick people that come to you that have, you know, 
don't have regular bowel movements, have been having GI issues for years, uh, um, have sudden bouts of, uh, of extreme fatigue, and it, they don't know where it comes from, uh, that's a good sign that, that the inflammation is occurring in the body. And you got to, you know, there's a couple of different approaches. There's one of, of a straight, like, elimination diet. You, you start the basics, and you remove all possible triggers. And you, you stick on that for, you know, three to four weeks. Okay? And then at that point, what you do is you slowly reintroduce foods. And you reintroduce foods at about one every three days. And after that three days, um, and I, I picked that three-day number, or I just said I didn't pick that, but that's the standard because food intolerances are things that can pop up uh, three days down the road. Because food takes 24 to 30 hours you usually, usually get through your system. You can have a reaction in the bloodstream much farther down that, you know, even past that point. So if they can make it past the, the three days without having any issues, without having any, like, decrease in, in energy or, you know, grogginess or, or you know, any negatives that, that they can take note of that were not there previously, then that's usually uh, an okay food. And you go through that process with some of the, the biggest triggers um, and you just you build yourself back up uh, like a cookbook, so to speak. Uh, and there's a there's a program called the, the four R's that you can follow. You know, it's uh, remove, uh, re-inoculate, uh, reintroduce, um, and, and you go from you go from that point. Uh, and that's kind of like the big gun approach. If if someone doesn't want to pay for or, or, or use testing, uh, if they want to, like someone comes to you and they're like, listen, I've I don't know what it is. Like I, I have some days where I'm good, other days where I'm bad, and they want to just you know get a food intolerance test. Um, then they can go that route as well. There's actually tests for um, all different gluten uh, that you're reacted to. There's actually f 16 different types of gluten that are out there. So you might be reacted to the gluten that's in rice and not as reacted to the gluten that's in wheat. Um, there's also tests for cross-reactive foods that, that your body mistakes as um, an inflammatory particle such as gluten. So there's a lot of cool testing options out there. Um, and those aren't, those shouldn't be ever your, your first recourse. You should be able to try to balance it naturally. Um, but again, it's not something that just you do overnight. It takes a little time. Well, and I think the good thing there too is, is, is the answer nobody likes to hear, but it depends, right? Like not everybody is going to be reactive to the same food or any of the foods, right? Like, but there is a lot of people out there. So it just goes to show how powerful individualization really is because everybody is so different from the way they need to train to the way they need to eat to what their gut's doing, what their hormones are doing, how much sleep they need, so on and so forth. So I, I love the individual answer like that. Um, it's important. Let's take let's take a quick detour towards like the guys out there. I want to talk about low T okay. because that's another thing. Like you said, one in four women are probably low in thyroid. I'd love to hear more information about like how common is low testosterone um, and if doctors are kind of over prescribing testosterone replacement therapy or if that's legit a good thing because it seems like there's a lot more people nowadays who have to get testosterone replacement therapy. Um, I know there's a, a couple estimated ranges of like what optimal is like 700 is the, the level that everybody kind of throws out there is like you should be around 700 but i've also heard people discuss the fact that everybody's optimal range is actually going to be different right you could be 500 and that's actually really high for you personally so my question would yep. be one how do you determine that and two like how common is low t actually so i mean i use a couple of fun facts when, when uh we teach in the, the certifications and when they first started testing um, uh, testosterone, uh, it was somewhere in the in, in 1940, I think 1943, and the average uh, range was like 14 to 1500. Wow. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact number. Okay, um, they did the same test based on uh, a pretty good representative sample, um, and the average was was less than 400 for Jeez. people in that same age group. Okay, so over a period of you know about 70, 80 years, uh, it's dropped almost a thousand points. Um, and there's a lot of things that we could go into of why that's happened from chemicals to stress to poor quality foods to lack of activity. Um, but it's a pretty big drop. And they did another study where they showed even in the past 10 years, uh, I think this was like 2011 to 2001 to 2011, that the average 35-year-old um, uh, had the testosterone level of a, 19, uh, of a 45-year-old in 2001. 
So it decreased quite a bit. And that, that went up from like almost like from 55 to 45, 65 to 55. So pretty much a, a 35-year-old had the hormones of a 45-year-old and likewise a 45 to a 55-year-old. So it's, it's definitely decreasing and it's pretty much making us uh, less manly. They say that the cavemen you know, ran around at like seven, 7,000, uh, um, <laughs> if they'd estimate it. So that's why they're always so, so big and ripped and, you know, pulling the girls around by their hair or so we think. Um, but, uh, the testosterone, it, it, it's the same type of situation. Okay. If it's, if it's outside chemicals that are uh, getting in the body and, and, uh, um, turning off the testosterone switch, if it's stress, uh, that's depressing the, the, the sex hormone production, uh, or if it's over-exercising, or if it's, uh, you know, poor quality foods. And also, obesity is uh, another one. And, you know, no one ever likes to be called obese, but technically, you know, if your your, your BMI is over a certain number, uh, I think it's over you know, 30, then you're considered obese. And it just means you have more fat than, you know, uh, than muscle in the body. Um, and then when you have a lot of fat, especially around the midsection, those fat cells actually take testosterone and it aromatizes it. So it produces more estrogen um, through the enzyme uh, aromatase. And that's another problem too that people have. So basically, you know, in a roundabout way, uh, we're stressed more than we've been, okay? There's more chemicals in our body, in our environment that are turning on these hormonal switches, turning them on and off. Uh, we're, our body fat levels are higher than they've ever been. We drink alcohol. We have more blood sugar dysregulation. There's more processed carbs. So, you know, put that into comparison of, you know, any normal guy, you know, are they drinking alcohol? Do they have a little bit of uh, belly fat? Uh, are they stressed out for, for some reason? Uh, are they exposed to, do they drink out of plastic water bottles? Do they, you know, have poor quality hygiene products? Are they kicking, cooking out of Teflon pans? I mean, the list can go on as to, to why it's happening. Can you fix it? Uh, sure. Uh, you can you can remove all that stuff and, and levels, you know, they get a little bit better. Um, not back to where you're going to be in your 20s. Um, but the, the question of uh, can you, you know, when it comes to reference ranges, um, the standard for at least testosterone is you want it to be in the upper quarter of the reference range. So normally that's about like 850 to about 1100. So that's the normal range of where people claim to feel the best. And that number can be different, uh, like you said, because people have, they're called polymorphisms. Think of them as, you know, the length of the, the receptor that comes out of the cell. You know, one person's uh, arm length and receptor might have 10 ports that they have to fill up with testosterone um, in order for them to activate the cell and for them to feel good. Another person, might only have four. So that person might do well on 400 score and another person might need uh, 1,100 to, to feel optimal. That's how it goes back to the, you know, every person is going to be different based on, you know, your genes, your lifestyle and, and you know, what makes you you. Okay, so let's, let's talk about how to tell because based on everything you said, I think 99.9% .9 of the guys listening to this will be like, oh shit. I drink out of that. I cook with those. I don't sleep enough, right? I have some low belly fat. So how do we determine like, okay, you actually do have low T or you don't? Like what are some symptoms that they should be watching out for to sign? Because a lot of people will look at their belly and be like, oh shit, does that mean I have low T or I probably don't sleep enough? Or again, like the water bottle thing. So many people do that. And I think it's safe to say that yes, those things can affect testosterone, but maybe I'm sure you can get away with a little bit of that and not be screwed on the testosterone range. So how do people look for signs and symptoms throughout their day daily life to let them know that they actually have low T. So the, the biggest one is going to be midsection waking, uh, it, uh, lack of desire to exercise, um, inability to build muscle, uh, sex drive, um, uh, very soft or, or a lack of, uh, of erections, uh, lack of libido, um, and other like, you know, mental fogginess, uh, even like depressive thoughts, uh, and just like a overall, like, you know, gray feeling about the day. Those are some of the biggest for, for testosterone. And, you know, at the clinics that I work at, you could come in and still be, still have a, a level of, um, 
that's not considered like hypogonadal, which is technically under 350, or you can be not given a diagnosis of like andropause, and they can still put you on um, hormone replacement uh, based on symptoms alone. Now, granted, if you come in and your your, your level's over 2,000, of course, they're not going to put you on more. But it, it's so much more important. You have to read the person and the symptoms uh, and not just test results. Now, again, test results play an important role. And unfortunately, they, they, they almost play a role too much in doctors' decisions these days. And doctors don't actually spend much time and, and go over symptoms and, and find out what you could be doing to fix lifestyle after lifestyle aspects of it. Um, but let's say they come in and, you know, there are great questionnaires online. Uh, just anyone can search like top symptoms for, for low testosterone and just, you know, be realistic. If you had to rate each symptom on a severity scale of one to five, um, of all those symptoms and you go through that and like, you got a lot of threes, fours, fives, there's a good chance that, you, you know, your testosterone might be low. So can it hurt to go in and ask your doc to test it? Um, it's covered by insurance. It's a, it's one of the more reliable tests as you can get a free and total. Uh, and you can see what your levels are at. You can see what your estradiol is, which is the female hormone and, you know, a lot of other aspects that might be able to point the fingers to kind of what's going on. So what, um, if let's say somebody does get diagnosed with this and they decide that they need to go the hormone replacement route, they're getting testosterone replacement therapy. Is mm-hmm. that a permanent thing? Like, is there ever a point in time where those people will be able to stop taking that or just go on a natural way of dieting and sleeping and training to keep those testosterone levels up where the hormone replacement got them to? Or is it one of those things where once you start, you have to go that route for life? Uh, I think it's that, again, it's depending on, on the person. Like w- for many years when I, I worked in straight, the, the age management clinic, I did think that once you started it, um, that, yeah, you were probably going to be on it for the rest of your life if, if, if you wanted to feel good. Um, going outside of that realm and working more on the integrative and functional side of it, uh, and by looking at removing the things that are actually causing the low testosterone in the first place can can help bring you back, uh, you, can do, you can go both routes. But a lot of times uh, when people get into a hormone replacement route and they have a means to say, man, I can still keep doing what I'm doing and I can just take a shot and I feel okay, that doesn't provide them the best motivation to work towards fixing it naturally. So in, in you can use a thyroid situation that uh, if someone comes to you and their thyroid's a mess and their thyroid low, they're never going to feel good or be able, have enough energy to keep going without getting those, those numbers up. So that's why a lot of times doctors always put people on thyroid meds. Now, while you're on those meds and you're feeling good, can you try to fix the underlying problems that are that are causing it? Are you removing the stressors, you know, improving the gut health, you know, uh, not working in night shift, eating better quality foods, removing the inflammatory foods? Then yes, you can you can fix that problem. But the longer you're on it, the more suppression that is going to occur because anytime you put an uh, uh, exogenous uh, external hormone into your body, your body doesn't make it itself, uh, your own gland, you know, the testes in that situation, um, they atrophy and they stop producing it. Um, so the longer you're on it, the, the harder it will be to, to come back from it. But I've seen all different types of situations where you, you can fix it. I think it's really, really important for people to just take that information and just be fully aware so they can really try to do it the natural way first. And if that doesn't work, then go that route just because of that, right? Like there are ways that you can fix this. It just takes some discipline, takes some work and just takes some structure, right? Like some serious nutrition, some serious stress relief um, and just go that route. So you don't have to do the hormone replacement unless it's absolutely necessary. Because I mean, like you said earlier, like in today's society, people want a quick fix so much. It's really unfortunate. Um, And that's kind of what that hormone replacement does. Yeah. It, well, let's say there's a couple, you know, um, uh, exceptions to that rule. Okay. One is if there's been ever any brain trauma. Anytime there's any brain trauma, there's just usually a disconnection between the brain and and the glands that actually uh, produce the hormones. So people will need to be on that um, in that situation usually. Now, if again medically induced hysterectomies for females, uh, there will be a situation where they need to. Uh, you know, be on hormones to, to balance themselves out. 
Same thing if there's any surgeries to remove any certain glands, like the ovaries or, again, hysterectomies or uh, thyroid uh, removals. Like thyroid cancer is the number one uh, increasing cancer in America. And doctors have a tendency as if, you know, if they, if they can't rule it out, if there's suspicious activity in the thyroid, then they're just going to cut it out. So you would need to be on thyroid medication in that situation. But my, my approach in, 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 the, in the nutrition realm is that, yes, always let's, let's work on lifestyle. Let's work on removing things um, that are, are causing the issue uh, instead of putting a band-aid on a situation. Always work it through food and lifestyle, okay? Next, you can move into the supplement route. Um, and then if, if all of that uh, doesn't work, then you, you can um, entertain the idea of the bioidentical. Um, at least in the nutrition and the functional side of it. Now, I work for two age management clinics where, where people come to us here, and uh, I've seen tr huge life changes for the better for going on, on replacement therapy. And I've seen what it can do to people's lives uh, for the better because it's, it's like that little boost that, that gets you over the hump and gives you the motivation to exercise, gives you that energy to get out, uh, uh, makes you feel good about yourself. Uh, for the first time, because listen, if you're you got depressive thoughts, if hormones are imbalanced, and and your 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 state of mind is in um, in the toilet, it's very hard to get motivated to, uh, to to work towards a goal when you're not seeing results for probably six months, a year, so forth. Hundred percent agree. Um, one last topic, because I know we're running short on time, that I want to bring up is something that I think is really funny to hear you and Jason go back and forth on, because you guys have differing opinions. So I always love when you like throw some studies in the Facebook group, but. Artificial sweeteners, like are they making us fat? Are they killing us? Like what are they doing to our gut? And then lastly, stevia. I mean there's like – there's so many studies going back and forth on both of these and then everybody is like just do stevia and monk fruit and these other things and then somebody else posts a research study saying that it killed rats and then somebody else debunks that one. So like give us like the, the real answer from Travis Zipper. What is up with artificial sweeteners? So it, it depends on, on, on the artificial sweetener. They all have different problems, but there is pretty solid data out more and more. And the more I read about it, and yes, I, I love posting little little studies in the, in the group uh, between uh, me and Jason. Jason loves his Splenda. He puts a bunch of them in his coffee every day. Um, <laughs> and Splenda is a chlorinated sugar product. You know, um, uh, It was originally a pesticide, and they changed one, one aspect of it, and they turned it into a sweetener. Um, it, they, there is some pretty solid data that it does disrupt and kill the good gut flora in, in, in the stomach, uh, and that it causes a burden and it has to be filtered out. You know, uh, it's a toxin for, for the body. Usually, uh, like let's say one, one soda or one packet of stevia or one Coke zero a day, the body's very good at getting rid of it. But otherwise, uh, you build up, it, it can accumulate in the body. And me personally, I'm a firm believer is that uh, if it doesn't come out of the ground or if it, if it goes through some chemical process to make it, that I, I don't want it, uh, in, at least in my body. And that's how I, I try to get back and get to the, the grassroots aspect of, of, of real whole foods um, that haven't been you know adulterated by man's hand. Now, when it comes to stevia, stevia is a, a, the same type of thing, is that stevia is it can be good stevia, basically if it's like an organic, like a, a Reb A product that has not been processed, or then you go all the way to Truvia, which Truvia is claimed to be stevia, and it's pretty much uh, corn dextrose, and the, the actual stevia that's in it has gone through 42 steps, and there's actually like no stevia in it whatsoever, even though they market it as it, okay? So, um, I mean, I personally went through every stevia packet they had at Walmart one time when I was there, and I think they had like 12, and every single one of them were garbage. So it depends again on the quality of it. There's a there you'll read some some debunking theories that there's stevia is good, stevia is bad. Um, but I have not seen to read anything bad any, anywhere about uh, monk fruit. Monk fruits are pr uh, a pretty good one. But I use stevia uh, in my coffee in the day, um, and it is is definitely a, a funny topic that me and Jason go back and forth on. So basically, you would recommend. Cutting out artificial sweeteners because, I mean, and this is kind of my philosophy as well, there's not enough data to prove it either way, but why risk it? Because it's obviously there's no data proving it good, right? It's not going to help us. So that's a fact. So let's avoid it. And then with stevia, probably limit it as much as you can, but you can use it uh, throughout the week or day or whatever. Um, and then monk fruit is probably going to be your best choice. 
Um, I, I would say good quality stevia. Uh, there's like the, the Reb A products. That's what you want to look for. You want to find an organic uh, ingredient that also has something called Reb A, which is the, the whole food source or the, the, the closer to the source variation of stevia. Um, uh, is going to be much better. There's actually some good studies on stevia showing things, and I guarantee you, like, I could get off here and someone could post a, a, a study refuting what I said. So it's very hard to stay up on, on all of them. Yeah. Um, there is pretty solid data, at least when it comes to Splenda and Aspartine and artificial sweeteners in those routes, um, that they do have some damage to the, the gut flora. And remember, gut's your, your microbiome is your second brain, your immune system's in your gut. Uh, the gut's not working right, the hormones aren't produced. So Anything that can that can mess with that, um, I kind of stay away from. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So before I let you go, there's always one last thing I always have the guests do, and it's a personality question. So you're on a cool. plane from here to Japan, and you have two empty seats next to you, and you could put whoever you want in those seats, alive or dead, but it cannot be friends or family. Who is sitting next to you on that plane to Japan? Interesting. Um... And someone that's dead. Someone alive or dead. It could be anybody in the world. Whoever you want to sit down and pick their brain, talk with, conversate, just can't be friends or family. Okay. I would say someone that's dead would be Jimi Hendrix. Great answer. Uh, uh, and then someone that's alive, that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, hmm. I don't know. It's tough. Uh, there's a business side of it, and then there's a functional health side of it. Um, okay, maybe uh, Alan Christensen, doctor, thyroid doc, functional medicine doc. Okay, definitely can pick his okay. brain for plenty of time. It's a 13-hour flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. So that's a tough one. You almost have to like, you have to like put that down on paper and figure out the pro pluses and minuses of each one. It, it's uh, funny how people some people get on the show and can answer it like that it's so funny they, they already know what they would do no matter what and then other people it's like holy shit this is a loaded question that's kind of how i am i don't know who i would sit next to yeah well i mean that's like a big experience like it's like if you had one wish in the world what would it be like yeah. some people you know they've maybe asked that question before in their life and they they have it already ready to go um or they had a drunk night of, of talking with friends about it um <laughs> but uh yeah, that's a good one. Hey, definitely take some thought. Love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I know people are going to really tune into this and get a lot of information out of it. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. It's it uh, it great doing these little, these, uh, these little podcasts. All right, guys. That is a wrap. I really hope you got a ton of information from that. I can't imagine how you wouldn't and i hope you guys took a notepad and actually wrote some some damn notes during that one because it was definitely a lot of content that could directly help you optimize your hormones and optimize your results i really want to like just harp on that because i can't tell you how many clients come to me on a weekly basis with under eating issues under recovering issues some kind of hormonal hormone damaging i should say uh, effect or or thing that they're doing to their nutrition to their training to their sleep to their recovery whatever it may be and that is exactly what's holding them back i always say this and i'm going to say it again and we said it on the podcast the physical follows the physiological and i cannot stress that enough because there's so many people who i help improve their hormones and therefore they start seeing better body composition results or performance results so very, very important stuff. Guys, if you want to follow Travis Zipper, I'm going to put all of his details in the show notes um, so you guys can follow him on Instagram and Facebook and try to see what he's doing and get involved. He's not huge on social media, but he does put out great content. And if there's any way for you guys to follow him, I suggest you do it because he is a wealth of knowledge. And um, of course, if you guys have any questions on specific hormonal issues whatsoever, make sure you are in the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, the BBP podcast forum it's a mouthful of words i know the link is in the show notes for that as well add yourself to the group i will accept you tag me in a post and ask me any question you want regarding hormones in this podcast and i will help you out directly i will see you guys next time